center and coming in is Loom. Hewitt-Dyke centered it. with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, happy Friday. We're underway. It is May 12th, and we are underway this hour on Flames Talk. Pike and Steinberg from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Uh, hello, Pike. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. How you doing, Pat? I'm doing all right. Um, and as we kick off this hour of Flames Talk, and as I said, it is May 12th, which is officially one month from the final game of the Flames season. April 12th was Dustin Wolf's debut and a 3-1 win over the San Jose Sharks. And that was one month ago as here we sit on May 12th. And as we know, it has been an eventful offseason already. Are, are you sure it's only been 30 days and it hasn't it, been like 90? It feels like when you say it's been a month since the season comes to an end, it feels like it should be September and training camp should be coming. And you know, we're still quite a ways away from that. Uh, I haven't even taken a single day off since the, the season came to an end. I mean, that's, end. That's, that's not unusual for you, though. Well, just just wait until my my uh, procurement of vacation and in lieu days start to be used later on this summer. You just wait, Pike. I'll become a stranger once again. Um it's been an eventful month or nine months or however long it's felt like since the season came to an end. Two huge decisions have already been made. Uh, the team has said goodbye to general manager Brad Treliving and head coach Daryl Sutter, as we know. By the way, Daryl was in the house here at the Scotiabank Saddledome on Thursday He was night. watching his, uh, his oldest boy play a game. In fact, not only that, uh, Daryl was uh, watching in his usual perch, same place he was uh, for some of the other Wranglers games, um, but was was uh, sitting there watching. Daryl was watching Brett Sutter and the Wranglers uh, fall 6-3 to Coachella Valley in game one of their best of five series. And uh, it was uh, it was just, I was sitting with Wes and Danny of Post Media and just wondering, uh, is Daryl going to be here? And there he was, Daryl watching his son. They even did Chris Sutter time in the second period. So um, uh, just a little bit of an update there that Daryl was very much in the house on uh, Thursday for game one. But a lot to still figure out here. And as Flames Talk starts to dial down a little bit here, and we're going to reduce it at times to one hour going forward. It's not going to be two hours every single day because, I mean, there's you know going to be less and less and less to talk about. So uh, Flames Talk will get dialed down. I think it's only going to be one hour next week. Um, one hour per day, that is, next week. Figured we'd set the table for what still needs to happen between now and when the puck drops on preseason game number one or when the puck drops on the regular season opener. And there's lots of things to dive into. Text lines open at 960-960. Pike and Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I guess I want to talk about Pike. We can go rapid fire on some. We can get a little bit more expanded on other uh, on others. rather. And, and I just want to talk about how many of these things that are on the table before the Calgary Flames need to be figured out urgently, need to be figured out before training camp, need to be figured out in the next few weeks, or how many of these things can wait into the start of the regular season? How many of these things can wait to the calendar year of 2024? Things like that. So um, I guess we'll start in the obvious places, and we'll start with the general manager search. Um, ah, they don't need one. That one, uh, that one seems urgent. You know, if you were to ask me, do they need a... Um, do they need a general manager in place by the start of next season? The answer is yes. Yes, they do. Uh, that That is the one that seems the most imminent. In fact, it feels like, Pike, we're in the, you know, kind of in the pocket of having a decision in the next couple of weeks here. That's what it feels like, at least based on what uh, what Don Maloney was saying when he was on uh, Flames TV with uh, our pal Brendan Parker and, you know, they ideally, by the time you have GM or the uh, the scouting meetings in a couple of weeks to set the direction for the the draft, I mean, 
most of the drafting stuff is already, you know, scouting has been done uh, outside of maybe you'll take a look at one or two guys at the Worlds who are there for for international clubs. But if we're being honest, those kind of players probably are still out of the Flames, uh, you know, pick range. So the, the work is already done outside of just hashing out the list. And ideally, you'd like to sort of know what uh, what the boss thinks of your list and to know what the boss thinks. You have to have one. And so I think yeah. that's probably that's probably the the most urgent piece of business because you know we, you and I are sitting you have a a very nicely typographed list in front of us. Every other thing on this list you can't have, happen. Yeah, it can't happen until yeah. you have the GM yeah. in place. So. I mean, I guess it could because you know I, I, even speaking to Al Coates on on the program on Thursday, and he talked about when he was the interim GM, and he kind of said, you know, as the interim GM, you don't act like you're the interim GM. You do things as if you're the GM. You just don't know when you're going to necessarily be finished up or you don't know how long this job is going to last for. So yeah. I, I, Don and, Maloney could and do I mean, these things. And I mean, Coatsy's situation was kind of weird because they, they didn't have a president. He was both the executive, executive vice president, vice president. Yeah. and the G- yeah. interim GM. And then the new ownership, I think that was when they did the ownership changeover to the current group, including Murray Edwards and some others. Yeah. And so when they came in, they had opinions about here's the kind of structure we would prefer. And then they ended up hiring Ron Bremner and then shuffling things around. And Al Coates was the interim GM, I think, for the better part of a, year, a whole season. And then they just took the interim off and took gave his other title away. So it was a very weird situation. And, you know, at least at the very least, we know, you know, the, the full-time gig for president of Hockey Ops uh, is going to be Don Maloney's. And he's very clear that he does not want to be the GM. No. So I don't think we're going to see a repeat. And, you know, I, I think... I think he's got a, a good enough handle on how the organization works and how the players within the organization work in terms of the hockey ops mechanisms that I think he knows when he, you know, the the exact, when's too early and when's too late to have somebody in place. I don't think there's such thing as too early. I think... I think, and he's he's yeah. made it pretty clear. Like every time he's spoken to people publicly, whether it was a couple of news conferences, whether it was the two sit downs he had in this room, whether it was the sit down that you referenced with BP at Flames TV, um, that that timeline has kind of gotten gradually more and more defined over the last little last little bit, and that's why I think we're probably somewhere in the two to three weeks range as to win we find out about who the new GM is going to be. And, and, and here's, you know, doing some, doing some digging and, and having some conversations in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, I think things are very much chugging along. I think that we're talking about a team that has uh, started to do interviews. Now, I, don't, I, I think that they I – don't, I don't know what the interview process is, but I think they have started to have some, you know – significant yeah. conversations with a lot of people. I think, they, yeah. you know, we have heard names like Stan Bowman and Mike Fuda and Mark Hunter and some other names, and I think all of those guys have had discussions with the Flames. I do. Um, but there are way more than that. I think yeah. that we're talking about a number of names that have been I, called and spoken to. I imagine. Plus, we have two internal candidates that are in the conversation as well. I, I imagine, you know, you, you're going to look at teams that are doing things that you are impressed with, and you're going to write down, okay, the AGM in charge of this part that I really like is so-and-so. And then you make a list like that, and then probably your first pass is calling up guys and being like, hey, you know, we're looking, we're obviously looking for somebody in Calgary. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I think also in terms of, you know, there's some teams that are obviously still active this Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, would they be able to interview during their team's playoff run? Would their team prefer them? No, let's let's just backburner this until the playoffs are done. Does that play a factor? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things at play, but I think the Flames, like you said, I think they're doing a lot of their legwork and having a lot of these, you know, I, I think they probably had a lot of these early, the, is this something you're interested in? The gauging conversations, the first date conversations. I think they've sort of had those types of, how are you doing? What are you thinking? Kind of conversations with a lot of groups. And I think, I think they've, they've even, I think it's even beyond that. Like, I think they've had like preliminary interviews where they've, they've asked questions about like what your plan is and all that type of stuff. That's kind of my, my read just in talking to, you know, five or six people over the last 24, 48 hours. But, uh, but have you interviewed yet? That's my question. That's how I know. Okay, I know exactly the questions they asked me for the job as general manager. Uh, no, I just I think that that's kind of where we are at this point, and and that means that things are are very much chugging along. And I again, I don't know if 
they then do second and third interview. I don't know what the process is to hire a general manager. I've never been hired as a general manager, nor have I ever hired a general manager. So I, I, I don't know what the process is, but I, I guess it feels that is very much the most imminent one to take place, which then leads to the next one, which would be head coach. Here is my hot take of the day. I also think, Pike, they need a head coach in place before the start of next season. Well, I mean, they could. I they, think they need to choose their guy they, they could the just, start of the regular season. They could season. just have the three or four assistants just standing there awkwardly on the bench being like, so are you going to do it or should I do it or what are you going to do? I mean, you know, that you could, that works for preseason, but I'd, I'd argue that – most teams, not all teams, but most teams would probably prefer to have a, a head coach in place by or before the entry draft, yeah. simply because you know that's when you can. You know, that's when you're meeting with agents. That's like for for those of you who haven't been to a draft, it's like you know first day of school or last day of school for hockey, where everyone's there, everyone's excited, everyone's undefeated. Everyone has, has is full of hope, hope and dreams, and in Nashville, usually you know some food too, and. If you're meeting, you're meeting with agents, you're meeting with media, you're meeting with other teams. It's where the majority of the legwork for the business starts to get done. And then dominoes start to fall right afterwards. So the last, um, the last two off-season coaches the Flames have hired have been Bill Peters and Bob Hartley. Uh, Bill Peters was hired very, very shortly after the season came to an end uh, because... They there was that weird window and that that option that needed to be exercised. So Bill Peters was hired on April 23rd of 2018. Bob Hartley was hired on May 31st, 2012. The reason that was a little bit later um, is because they were kind of in a they, they, they took them a little while to figure out exactly which way they wanted to go with that one. Uh, that was still very early on in Jay Feaster's tenure. So. That was May 31st. So April 20, uh, April 23rd. Then we had a lockout reaction. Exactly. But took a little while for Bob to coach his first game. So I think sometime late May, early June, we'll have an idea as to who who the head coach is going to be as well. Because I don't think it's going to take a Mm -hmm. super long time for whoever the general manager is to then hire his head coach. His his or her head coach. And I imagine probably some of the the high level conversations you're having with. People you don't end up hiring for GM are okay. What kind of you know? What kind of you see this roster? What kind of coach do you think we need? And I think if you're Tom Maloney, you're putting together probably a shadow list of names you're thinking of. And so when you hire your GM, they go, "Done. Let's talk about hiring a head coach." And goes, "Great. I've got thoughts, but what do you want to do?" And by the way, I just wanted to throw out there: Glenn Gulletson was in uh, mid June of 2016 when he was hired. So I forgot that he was in between Hart. So Hartley was May 31st. Gullitson was mid-June, June 17th, and Peters was April 23rd. So we're already past April 23rd, May 31st, a couple weeks away, and we're about a month away from when Glenn Gullitson was hired. So I think somewhere in that late May, early June window is when we'll find out about who the new head coach would be because, yeah, as you were saying, yeah, it's, uh, I just I, I I don't think it's going to take months and months for the new general manager to determine who he wants to be as the next guy. Yeah, and all all those guys that you mentioned, the 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 latest one hired, uh, Glenn Gulletson, was still hired about eight days for the opening of the NHL draft. Yeah, so yep. I mean, that's you know it's uh it's you know at the at the very least, photo ops look awkward if you don't have your head coach in it. So. You, when you're going up to the podium to tell everyone that they're selecting Colby Barlow or Cap, you know Callum Ritchie or uh, one of the Swedes, you want to have your head coach there if yep. you can. So those are the two that I, I think are the most imminent and no questions asked. These are things that are non-negotiable, have to be done this summer, and you didn't need to listen to us talk for the last five or six minutes to know that, yes, Pat, thank you very much for telling us that they need a general manager and a head coach in place before next season. I know that you know that, so I'm not trying to uh, patronize you when I but, say that. But then a lot of stuff has to happen. Well, exactly. <laughs> text line's open, by the way, at 960-960, so let's kind of get into this. And again, I'm kind of just bouncing up how urgently did these decisions need to be made how urgently does something need to be done and let's start with Elias Lindholm because I yeah. do believe Elias Lindholm is the number one player personnel decision that needs if, to be made this if you're, summer. if you're gonna keep him he'll be the most expensive of the guys that you might want to keep and if you're gonna not keep him he's a significant enough guy that I would argue that you kind of want to get a sense of what what's Elias Lindholm feeling 
you know, I'd say that's why if you say, you know, coach sooner or coach later, I'd say coach as soon as possible because then you can sort of have a conversation with the new coach, the new GM, and your first line center and go, where do you, where do we want to go from here? Where do you see things yep. going? What do you need from us? What do you, what are you thinking? And if he's thinking, eh, maybe you know, maybe see what my options are in, in you know July 2024. There's an entry draft coming up, and it's a very good draft, and you're gonna get something very good if you are exploring the option of moving Elias Lindholm. I personally would not move Elias Lindholm because I think Elias Lindholm is excellent, and I do, I think he'd be extremely okay. difficult to replace. Okay. But you kind of want to know what direction you're going before you show up to Nashville because if you're going to do something, that seems like the ideal week to do it. I don't want to move Elias Lindholm either, but I think that this is, in in my opinion, and and I, I don't think it's non-negotiable, but for me, the most preferable way of, of handling this, and so if if I were to make a choice, my opinion is, you need to have this figured out at some point during the offseason. He's either got to be inked to a new deal, seven years, eight years, whatever it might be, or he's got to be playing somewhere else. Because I, I, that to me, I don't want him playing anywhere else. I think Elias Lindholm being signed is the way that you want to go. He, of your three top centers, is the youngest. Of your three top centers, I think he's got the most offensive upside. And I think he's the be- he is the best of your three centers and the youngest of your three centers. So oh, I agreed. think, I think, trying to sign him to a long-term deal starting. July 1st is the first step you got to take. And if you're not going down the right road, then I think you got it. And, and maybe it doesn't happen at the draft. Like, I get what you're saying. Elias Lindholm was acquired at the 2018 draft. And, for and, and uh, the GM's predecessor did most of his work at the entry draft. So, you know, people get talking, man. Exactly. In saying that. If they don't, I still think you can move them for a haul at some point this summer. The Flames didn't move Matthew Kachuk at last year's draft and still made a blockbuster trade. So I think that you can still make the type of move you'd want to make for Lindholm. I think you get more for Lindholm in the offseason anyway than you would in season because I don't think he's a guy that you want to have all 31 other teams interested in this guy, and I think all 31 teams would be, whereas come the trade deadline or in yeah. season, you're usually trading with certain archetype teams. This is not yeah. the case in the offseason. So and either sign him or you start to work on a move. And That's also, how I look at it. I, I'd be remiss in my duties if I did not point out that during the offseason, you're allowed to overspend the cap by 10%. Yeah. So uh, if you're, you know, the right now the, the prevailing thought is the cap is only going to go up by a million bucks. But our, our friend Frank Saravalli has mentioned in uh, a couple instances that there are some, you know, some HRR things that are being disputed by the NHL PA. And so there's some negotiations going on potentially about, you know, could some revenue be counted that should be counted or vice versa? We don't know. But if you're the if you're the the, the league and you're going, ooh, a million bucks jump up on the cap and then the year after eight or ten, that sounds like that'd be very uneven and very you know, very chaotic. Can we smooth that out a bit? So as as of right now, everyone's understanding is probably a million bucks, but I don't think it's without the yeah. it's outside the realm of possibility that we could see something more more large than than that. But again, like, you know, you if you're if you're a GM right now, your job is to figure out, okay, if the cap number is eighty three five, here's our plan. If the cap's number 86. is eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah. So I think you you know you want to get somebody in place to have those conversations, and a, pretty much all the other Calgary moves are dependent on, you know, where do they see the the direction of the team, where they you know how how do they how do they like it. So I think Lindholm is the biggest one. I think there's many others. That, you know, like they've, you look, okay, you've listed here. So, and I wanna, I wanna like, uh, we can kind of end each conversation with a yes or a no. GM, does it need to be figured out this off season? Obviously, yes. yes. <laughs> Coach, obviously, yes. For me, Lindholm's future, Lindholm's fate. For me, I check yeah. yes. Needs to be figured out definitively, one way or the other, this summer. Either he's staying yeah. long term, or you're moving him. And I would, I would almost say like. GM, yes, before the draft. Coach, yes, before the draft. Lindholm, yes, ideally before the draft because I think you'd want as many options as possible to get a good price for him if you're not keeping him. And if you are keeping him, it, doing figuring it out before the draft gives you the ability to move some future money potentially or figure out your cap structure going forward. What about Hannafin? 
Hannafin That's a good is one. <laughs> he. I think uh, certainly of all of all the defensemen, but I think uh, outside of Lindholm, he's the guy that if he were to be on the trade block, or if the Flames were getting the vibes that he wasn't super interested in signing long term, I think there would be teams lining up to bring Hannafin in as well and be willing to pay a significant price for him because we're talking about a 25, 25 still, twenty five year old defenseman, only twenty five, who's got five hundred plus NHL games under his belt, can play twenty four minutes. Um, like this is a, a really, I think would be a very highly sought after player. Is Hannafin perfect? Nope. Does he have limitations in his game? Of course, but. At 25 years old and almost 600 NHL games with the way he skates with some pretty decent offensive upside back-to-back seasons of 48 and 38 points, I think teams would be lining up to bring him in as well. I was very definitively Sharpie pen yes on Lindholm's future being figured out. I'm kind of pretty close to that with Hannafin as well because, again, with a player of his age at, at the age of 25 and... The fact that you limit the type of teams that you trade to more once you're in season, I think you need to know Hannafin's status this summer as well. And if we're looking for like looking at center depth, obviously Lindholm's your best, your youngest, your et cetera, et cetera. Uh, For left shot D, I mean Mackenzie Weger can flex both sides, so can so can Troy Stetcher. But for just left shot D, you have Hannafin, who is you know what he is, and you know his goods and his bads, and I think he's still you know he's still super young, so I think he's still got a lot of up, upside in his game. And then you have Oliver Shillington, who hasn't played in a year, and then you have uh, Nikita Zadorov, who is very good at some stuff and sort of a little bit uneven in other stuff. And so Hannafin, of the guys you have who shoot left on the blue line, is A, your best, and B, second place ain't that close right now because yep. there, you have question marks yep. about the other two guys. And so, again, if, if, you, if you're thinking, ooh, Hannafin might not be long for this club, you kind of need to fi- start figuring out a plan for succession. Like, say, what if Hannafin, you know, what if Zadorov decides, you know, prices himself out of Calgary? That could happen. What if, you know, Oliver Shillington comes back and is merely good instead of very good like what if he's just an average defenseman like average is great you need average guys to fill out your team but if you remove a very good defenseman in Hannafin and your next best guy is average that causes some headaches so you kind of you want to be able to start figuring out your blue line very quickly and I think Hannafin is the Rosetta Stone so to speak the thing that'll allow them to start figuring those things out one way or the other yep and Again, I think very similar to Lindholm, if you could have a plan in place or an idea as to what you're going to do going into the draft, that would be ideal. It is, uh, in my opinion, not completely ironclad. It has to be like that, but I think that's still your ideal situation. Uh, Okay, I think Toffoli, Tanev, Backlund are all kind of in similar situations to me. All guys who are veterans, over 30, expiring contracts. Um, I don't think you need to have them quite in the same circumstance, as in I don't think you need to have it figured out by the start of the regular season. I think Hannafin and Lindholm, you absolutely do. I'd be far more okay if I was running the team, if all of or some of Tanev, Backlund, Toffoli entered next season on expiring contracts because they're veterans, because I think, would you like to potentially work a trade if, if that's the way and you think that a guy's leaving? Yeah, yeah, I get that, but those could be potential trade deadline decisions, and I don't think, if you let Hannafin walk away for nothing or you let Lindholm walk away for nothing, and in both cases, I think signing those guys long-term is the way to go, but if they were to walk away from nothing, I think that's poor asset management. I don't see it the same way with guys who are 31, 32, 33, 34, 34, 35, like Toffoli and Backlund and Tanev are. If, if any one of them were to walk away at the end of their contracts and sign elsewhere, you shake their hands and say thanks for your service. Yeah. And I don't think you're I, – I don't think you're – poorly asset managing if any of that happens. Yeah, like I mean, you, you're spending assets to get guys, and ideally you want to get them for the best years of their career. And so if you... Well said. If you don't necessarily, you know, say... I'd say Tyler Toffoli is a good example. Like, we're, you know, if you say the Flames should trade Tyler Toffoli to get something back, I'd say it'd be a good idea if they could do it, but I don't think it'd be the end of the world because you give up a first-round pick 
and then you get two and a, two what two years and a quarter of another year, like two two and a quarter years. Parts of, of three seasons. Parts of three seasons of a very good player. And he definitely helped your team and won you games. And if he decides he wants to go do something else, you go, okay. I mean, you you spent a – it would have been a very late first-round pick. I believe the Flames won the division that year. So the, that would be like the earliest – or 28th overall. 27th or 28th overall picks do not regularly play as many games in the NHL as Toffoli has played with the Flames nor do they very frequently have that impact. So if in terms of just pure you know, asset management of maximizing the pick's value, trading it for Toffoli based on what they got out of Toffoli and what we anticipate Toffoli will be next season, yeah, it's probably you're probably looking at a positive valuation even if Toffoli walks. That said, if you can keep him or if you can get something for him, that'd be ideal. But I, I agree with you in terms of uh, you know, if guys who are on the wrong side of 30 – you've probably already gotten the best you're going to get out of them, right? Uh, by the way, uh, 26th overall was that pick. Uh, Montreal took uh, Philippe Messar from uh, Slovakia. That was a good pick. pick that was a good year overall. for Slovaks. It really was. Um, and and differing conversations when it comes to all three of Tanev, Toffoli, and Backlund when it comes to re-signing them. But for me... I'd be okay with re-signing Toffoli on, uh, you know, a three- or four-year extension for maybe a little bit more money than he's making. Tanev I'd be a little bit more hesitant on just because of the injury history and the age. If, if, if Tanev was to finish out his time in Calgary and then go in a different direction or the Flames don't re-sign him, I think you can understand that. And Backlund's kind of a special circumstance because he's 35 years old, coming off the best season of his career, uh, is in the best shape of his career. He is the leader of this hockey team, a potential captain for this team, and has the potential of being the number two all-time games played player, one of two to ever get to a 1,000 in a Flames jersey. So I think there are differing conversations about re-signing any of them, but I don't think they need to be figured out this summer. That's all. And the thing with Backlund is because he'll be signing after he's 35, you can get creative with bonuses. You can get creative with right. length. And if he retires during a long-term contract that you fill up with bonuses, his cap, his contract comes off the cap. So, I think there's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of nuances to all these different situations. And I think, you know, do you have guys that would be willing to, you know, I'll say this, like Trevor Lewis. Trevor Lewis was, you know, 36 or 35 when he signed, turned 36 mid-season. Uh, he. You know, he made 800 mil base and then another 200,000. Yeah, 800,000. 800, 800, 800 mil. 800 mil. He's got a great year. agent. Great agent. Uh, but yeah, 800K and then 200,000 in, in games play bonuses. You know, so if you're, it allows you, the bonus structure allows you to have your cake and eat it too. And I'm sure if you're the Flames, you're thinking we want to keep Backlund as for as long as possible for, and keep the team as competitive as possible. Maybe you sit down with him and his agent and map out something where it's like, okay, million dollar base and then all kinds of bonuses that are easily achievable. Because that, uh, that's what Patrice Bergeron did in Boston. That's what he's done the last couple of contracts. Yeah. And, you know, if you're willing to get creative and you're willing to meet the players halfway on that and vice versa, if the players are, are willing to meet the team halfway, Way and maintain their flexibility. You have a lot of different options. What about um, the, the the two final guys I want to ask about in terms of do they need to? So again, Lindholm, Hannafin, Piker on the same page. The Flames absolutely need to figure out their futures this summer, this off season. Uh, they don't, in our minds, necessarily have to do that with Toffoli or Backlund or Tanev. What about Zadorov and Shillington, who? Both will uh, be finishing off contracts at the end of this year. Are those things that you need to figure out this summer, or can you carry those decisions into next season? I think those are guys you can probably punt on a little bit, and especially, you know, if we're being honest here, they're both because they're both lefty defensemen. You're probably competing for similar ice time and similar money, and you know, I think especially with the X factor of what Shillington gonna be when he comes back. I think you give yourself till Christmas to figure that out. And then once you hit Christmas, I think you have a good idea of how they're feeling, how their you know, how their fit is, and you have a good sense of, you know, how their everything else is going. So, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of dominoes left to topple, and some of them might not topple until well into this year. Yeah. Okay. What about the whole idea of figuring out, like, do they need, or, or how much, to what extent do they need to 
figure out Jonathan Huberto this summer. What I mean by that is how much do they have to figure out how to unlock the highest paid player on the team uh, come July 1st in terms of going out and getting players that could work with him or finding a fit for him lineup-wise, finding a fit for him, the best center iceman for him to play with, so on and so forth. How much does that need to be figured out this summer? The the most expensive player in Calgary Flames history? Yes. I would think it's fairly important. But I I would say I'd be of all the exit meetings, obviously you and I wish we could sneak into those and sort of wait up in the in the drop ceiling and just listen in. Uh, unfortunately they, they don't reinforce those for us so we'd fall in and we'd get caught very easily. Uh, so they don't you know, we don't eavesdrop in those meetings. The one that I'd be the most curious about listening into would have been Huberdo's because what did he think? Like if he's being completely candid with us, mm-hmm. what did he think didn't work? Like was it just obviously off ice, you're moving to an entirely different situation than you've ever been before. You're dealing with different coaches, different media, different, you know, traffic, different weather, different this. That, that, you know, even for someone who grew up in Montreal, in the Montre- you know, in, in the Quebec area, and knows sort of how important hockey is in Canada. After being in Florida for 11 years, you know, I think, you know, if I tell you, Pat, you're going to go through some turbulence on a plane, if you haven't gone through it before, I don't know if you can ready yourself for it. And I think that the same way going into a completely different life situation, work situation, however you want to cut it. So I, I think him figuring out, okay, what does he learn? What is he, and what does he need to feel like he can lead this team going forward? Because when you're paying a guy 10 and a half million bucks a year, it's incumbent on him to lead or be able to lead. And, you know, he wasn't able to do it last year. I don't know how much of it was his fault outside of just circumstances being what they are, but you know, you're you've got eighty four million dollars tied up in this guy in a deal that is extremely difficult to move and yep. almost impossible to buy out based on the length and the amount of bonuses. So, you know, you this is this is the this is Jonathan Huberto's team, or at least a team with Jonathan Huberto on it for the foreseeable future. So you gotta figure out a way to maximize him. I, I think that if whoever the new GM is I am engaging Jonathan Huberdeau uh, as to the type of coach that would work best with him. Again, I don't make my coaching hire solely for Jonathan Huberdeau, but I certainly engage him in the conversation. And I also engage him in the conversation in terms of, okay, who on the team right now do you feel fits your style best? And who that is potentially available either via free agency or other means fits your style the best and get that type of feedback and then use that feedback. I'm not saying, Jonathan, tell us who you want to play with. We'll go do it. He's not LeBron James, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm suggesting that at the very least engage him so that you have all the information, including the firsthand information from the guy in question. And then it goes back to, you know, when you're, when you're talking about this cap and and what it might look like and some of the decisions the flames have in front of them here well if all of a sudden you identify an unrestricted free agent that you think would be a perfect fit to play on a line with Jonathan Huberdeau well maybe you have to make a move to become cap compliant so you can go sign that guy and bring him in so all that being said I think you may not be able to fully do it this summer but I think you have absolutely got to make some – I'm trying to think of the right words. Not concessions. Inroads? Yeah, and, and you've, got to, you've got to start the process of yeah. getting the right people around number 10 I'd, so I'd, that he has maximized a whole lot more next I'd season. I'd say, yeah, if you, if, you, if, you're getting, if you get the call from Don Maloney, Pat, Don Maloney says, Pat, congratulations, you're the new general manager of Kyrie Flames. Is your, if you're the new GM, is the first phone call you make to your wife saying, I got the job? Or is the next phone call you make to Jonathan Huberdeau saying, let's go somewhere and have a bottle of wine and figure out what you need? I, Depends how much my wife liked me. If she was still a fan of mine. It's pretty close, though, right? Like, I would give Huberdeau a call. In, in, yeah, in terms of importance, I mean, you know, the, the wife will find out later on that you got the job when the paychecks start showing up. But, you know, for the amount of things you need to figure out and, you know, the, the runway, you want to maximize your runway to maximize Jonathan Huberdeau. Yep. And, you know, I was, I, that said, I'd probably call my wife first, but, you know. It'd be a short conversation. I could, I could probably text her and say, got the job calling Huberdeau. 
Read a few texts for you at 960-960. This reads, after a season like that, anyone who isn't willing to re-sign should be shipped off. Tanev, Toffoli, Zadorov could fetch you multiple mid-high picks or get players who want to be here. Thank you for your service. Buy is terrible asset management. I don't think it is in every circumstance because if Chris Tanev, for instance, uh, just walks away... You're, the asset that you're getting is $4.5 million on your cap, which I think is important too. So I, I do not think it is a black and white situation with each and every pending unrestricted free agent. I think there are times when letting a guy walk and not trading him is just fine. Um, what I think you need to avoid it with is certain players like Lindholm and Hannafin. Uh, this says you guys are wrong. Get something for each guy entering the final year if you can't sign them. Have assets to build with, period. But the problem is, I don't know if I want to re-sign Tanev. If, and, and, and if I'm still looking to be competitive next year, I'm okay with Tanev finishing out his time here, not moving him if you're still competitive at the deadline, and then have him not re-sign it. It's not they, every circumstance is not they, the they, same. They didn't trade TJ Brody going to the last year of his contract, and he walked. But and that I, allowed them to sign Tanev. Yeah, I don't I don't think you'd look at the, the draft pick they used to pick up to get Brody and go, dang, asset management would have been better if they traded him before. Like, you know, it would be great to get something out of him, but you also got, what, 800 games or something like that out of him? That's That's the return. The return is the games. It'd be lovely if you can get more stuff too. Don't get don't get us wrong. You know, future stuff is always fantastic, but you also need guys to play in your team, and yep. you also need guys to, you know, flip later on. So I mean, uh. this reads: This is a young players' league. Why the Flames would keep any player that has value and is a UFA is beyond me. These are the moves that keep this team in the middle. It's been a mediocre team for way too long. Fans are getting fed up with the mediocre. Another couple of years of this and fans won't be coming to games anymore. If they re-sign Michael Backlund and don't trade him this year and he finishes with the most games in franchise history, what is wrong with that? I don't. This is, this is what wraps my head around. Could you trade Michael Backlund this summer? Sure you could. You know what else you could do? You could keep him aflame for his career. That's also not a bad thing. Um, um, I, don't, I don't understand why it has to be so cut and dried in every circumstance. And some are, some there's a whole lot more gray area. And I think of all of them, Michael Backlund is is living in the gray the most. And my good, that contract looks so weird too. I mean, especially a guy. Okay, yeah, he'll be 35 his first year of his new contract wherever he signs it. Uh, a multi-year deal takes him to 35, 36, 37. Okay, how does that look? What do you, what do you need? To, what do you want that to look like? Like he'll be 38 years old at the end of a three-year deal. That that'd be fascinating. I'm I'm I kind of I'm very curious. I think he's going to sign somewhere. If he signs here, how do you structure it? Yeah. And you know who do you invite to the the number raising? What a joke. Let's ask the players who they want as a coach. Sounds like the players and the manager. I guess that's true. They got the coach fired. No. Are you telling me that there's not a pro sports franchise that doesn't go to their most important players and ask for input as to what type of coach is best for the team? Come on. That happens in every pro sport. So, like, that, that, that is not – we're not suggesting that ask the players who they want. I'm suggesting go to your most important guys and say what type of coach suits you best. Not what coach, what type of coach. It's called information gathering. And finally, from Wedley – Oh, I'm still me. trying to wrap my head around the idea that Pat got married. No, I did not get married, but in this, in this hypothetical situation, I was Pat's, married. Pat's also... But I get it, Wedley. It's hard to wrap your head around even that hypothetical. Pat, I do Pat as far as I know, based on my intel, Pat is also not yet interviewed for the GM position. So can't, I can't confirm nor deny. Was that next Friday? Can't, I'm not. I'm not. I got to keep that stuff close to the vest. Uh, Pat and Pike with you. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. The, sorry, we're at the uh, Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Dome. My bad. Uh, they're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit DLBasementSystemsCalgary.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Friday edition of the program continues. This hour continues from the Scotiabank South Dome. And uh, on Thursday, 
Calgary Flames announced a donation to five recreational spaces in the city in partnership with the Parks Foundation Calgary. $400,000 to be directed to the Parks Foundation to support three bicycle pump tracks and two community revitalization projects. Uh, South Glenmore Park, West Confed, Marta Loop, uh, for those pump track projects, and then uh, Ogden with the George Moss Park revitalization and the Forest Lawn Park revitalization projects. Those, those are the uh, five locations that this $400,000 infusion is going to. And uh, when it's Flames Foundation involved, we, we only have one person that we speak to. Uh, we say hello to Candace Gowdy of the Flames Foundation right now. Hello, CG. How are we doing? Hi, Parker. How are you? I'm good. Happy Friday. Um, tell us, a, tell us about uh, Thursday's announcement because I know that uh, I know that you and the foundation and uh, everybody involved was was really excited about that uh, announcement you made Thursday in Martelloup. Yeah, thanks so much, and uh, thanks for having me. We are really excited, and um, like you mentioned, it's five projects around Calgary, and two are park revitalization projects. And three are pump track um, projects, and we got we always get a ton of, and obviously the Parks Foundation too, of people going, "What is a pump track?" That's and, I, I have that written down as one of my questions as well. Yeah, and I mean they're fairly new community assets, and you know Sheila Taylor from the Parks Foundation will tell you they're the most coveted community asset right now. Um, but they're bicycle pump tracks, so they're kind of like skate parks for bikes. Uh, and they've got all of these, you know, rolling cement hills and bowls. Um, you know, the ones that they're starting to develop have intermediate, advanced, and beginner tracks. So you see, like, you will see bikers in there that are three, like on striders and, you know, just finding their grounding. And then you'll see people of all ages in the other tracks. And we've seen, you know, senior citizens in these tracks. I mean, obviously, they're usually orientated towards children, but they, it really, they really are assets for, for people of all ages, uh, and the most popular being the one at South Glenmore Park. So if people are walked, have walked by those, oh, yeah, actually, I have seen that because that's been there, uh, you know, for a number of years. But they're super popular, and they're always uh, jam-packed, and we had partnered with the Parks Foundation two years ago on the one in Inglewood, and it's just been... Uh, such a positive thing, and you know these two or three more uh, we think are really, really positive uh, additions to. They're just they're just really, really awesome spaces. Well, and and you know we talk we talk with you a number of times a year, Candice, and we talk about all the different things that the, the Flames Foundation touches in this city and in southern Alberta, whether it's the you know Ronald McDonald House or whether it's the the different individual player contributions, and we talk about um, all the the different charitable endeavors. But one of the things that that maybe we don't talk enough about when it comes to the Flames Foundation is some of those those health and and wellness initiatives that. You you have your footprints and fingerprints all over. That's that's a really important pillar of the foundation as well, isn't it? It is, and yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, we don't have the most important, but you know, it is the one that I think that we've invested the most significantly in, and we have all sorts of programs that are supporting uh, access into sports. And this is, you know, right there as far as creating recreation, helping to create recreational assets for families, right? We talk so much about the power of sport and what that accomplishes for a person, you know, spaces for safe failures and a safe space to not make a team and learning how to deal with disappointment and teamwork and making friends and just all of the other than physical benefits that you get from playing sports. It's the same as recreation, right? And that's you know, we talk about the spaces that are going in in Forest Lawn and Ogden, and those communities have very low registration rates for sports. So you look at community assets and spontaneous play and how to make sure that a young person still has the ability to access uh, those important life learnings that you gain from sport and recreation, and that's spontaneous play. I mean, you don't have to be on a team. You don't have to play a sport. Right. There's you just see whether it's um, biking or snowboarding or badminton or art class or guitar. Right. Just extracurricular activities that can help to facilitate some of those learnings for young people in a safe space. You know, and when you grow into adulthood, it's not so hard to deal with 
failure, right? Because you've been experiencing it in a safe space. Um, and that's, you know, a little bit more deeper than pump tracks, but that's what's happening here, right? <laughs> that is what happens in these spaces, whether we are aware of it or not. That's what these are for. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, all the information on this gift to the community and the partnership with Parks Foundation Calgary, all you got to go is to head over to CalgaryFlamesFoundation.com. It's the uh, first item on the news tab. CalgaryFlamesFoundation.com is the website. Candice Gowdy of the Flames Foundation is with us. Candice, just uh, here we are. We're uh, a month removed from the end of the season for the team on the ice. Tell us about uh, the season that was for the foundation. Uh, tell us about uh, some of the things that, that you're really proud of over the last 12 months or so. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a tough finish, but we had a, we, as far as what we were doing in the community and our charitable side, it was an extraordinarily successful season. Um, you know, we saw the introduction of a number of theme games that went over really yep. positively, right? We had our Lunar New Year game and our Indigenous celebration and our Women in Sport game, and we've done some of those things for a long time, but our Black History Month game, but we had these really successful auctions or 50-50 draws associated with each of those games, which were re-injected into those communities. You know, the Lunar New Year game ended up resulting in a floor hockey program at the Chinese Cultural Center, and um, the Indigenous game funds raised those funds were injected and are being distributed to all seven nations in uh, southern Alberta. And um, we, we just saw uh, wonderful connections with those, wonderful and meaningful connections uh, with a lot of those not-for-profits and with those communities. And then, you know, we had one of the most successful poker tournaments that we've had in years. Uh, and it was, it was just buzzing. Like, it was just so great to be in that space with people who, uh, our teams and our supporters, uh, and we have felt so much generosity, whether it's through the 50-50 ticket or our sponsors and donors. Um, you know, the city is, it's, it's, it's buzzing, right? Things are happening here, and the people here are doing such tremendous work, and we're so grateful for the people who continue to support us and make this stuff happen. Uh, I think Calgary's it's a really special place to be right now. And I guess before we let you go, Candice, just set us up for the summer ahead. And and I'm just what what's what's on tap? Is it is it a little bit uh, is it a little bit more quiet during the summertime for the foundation? Is it just about gearing up for the season ahead? Kind of what does the next number of months look like for you and your team? Yeah, thanks. I mean, there was a time when it was a little bit more quiet, and now it's just not, and that's a good thing. Good. Uh, we've we've grown so much, you know, in the last few years. Um, so we've got all these recreational projects that we're involved in. The first one opens tomorrow. So, you know, we're with the City of Calgary and the Parks Foundation at West Confederation Park tomorrow, formally opening that at 11. So it's going to be really exciting. All the pump tracks have these big flames logos in it. Looks super cool. Uh, we're planning our golf tournament. So our golf tournament is going to be taking place on September 13th or September 12th and 13th. So that's back, two different golf courses. Uh, so it's going to be big and awesome again. And the alumni have their golf tournament coming up in May. Um, and then we're working hard on the stamp side too. So obviously the stamps have their junior stamps camp tomorrow. It's going to be like a hundred degrees outside and <laughs> be really awesome. But we're, um, yeah, we're continuing to do a lot of work in setting up our programs and, um, and our events for next season and this summer. So it's good for, we're clipping along. It's good to be busy. Candace, you're the best. Awesome to hear from you. Have yourself a uh, wonderful weekend. I know we uh, already took you away for, from some plans to do this, so thanks for taking some time with us. Enjoy the weekend. Hey, we'll talk to you soon, and congrats on the announcement on Thursday. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. You're the best. Thanks, Candace. Bye. Thanks, Pat. Candace Gowdy of the Flames Foundation with us here on Flames Talk. Again, uh, information on... All of what went down on Thursday with the uh, Parks Foundation Calgary partnership, uh, where that $400,000 infusion is going to be hitting and more at CalgaryFlamesFoundation.com as we continue along uh, this hour on Flames Talk. By the way, Candace joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or deliveries available at 403 403- 248-3344. It's Pike and Steinberg uh, as we start to move towards the latter stages of this hour on Flames Talk. 
Hart Trophy nominees are out. Does it really matter? Um, this is the year. When's, when's the last time that you could, and let's just forget for a second what team he plays for, um, but when was the last time that you could just close your eyes and not even have to think about who the Hart Trophy should go to? If it's, honestly, if it's not, and I know that you were a voter and I am not, so I'm just, and if you would like to divulge, you can, but if it is not a unanimous Connor McDavid for the Hart Trophy. I don't know what we're doing anymore, and and it's not. It has. It has. I I know that we all despise that he plays for the Oilers. I get that, but like if it's not him and he's not number one on every single ballot, I I don't know what we're doing. I don't. I don't. I don't yeah. know what possible argument you could make to say that he is not the number one guy. So I don't care if you're in Florida, Los Angeles, Montreal. <laughs> I don't care where you're voting, how much you saw the Oilers play this year or not. I, I just I, There is no argument that you could make that would have anybody, so, Pasternak, Kachuk, or the other two uh, nominees. Matthew Kachuk had himself a hell of a year, and David Pasternak of the Bruins uh, was so, so good. Those are the two nominees, How the two other finalists, rather, I don't. If any of either of those guys are ahead of him, I don't. Again, what are we doing? I don't what, understand. So here's what's going to happen, Pat. So on uh, June 26th at the in Nashville, at the NHL Awards, they'll announce that Connor McDavid has won the Hart Trophy, and then the PHWA will release its balloting. All, all our ba- balloting is public. You can look at every individual yep. writer, every every individual voter who they voted for for every trophy, and that more so for just morbid curiosity than anything else. I think many people are just going to be downloading that PDF and just scrolling and looking to see if anyone didn't vote for Connor McDavid because yeah, it's you, you regardless of what team he's playing for, my goodness, he was just an absolute wagon in the regular season. Yeah. It's just, of course he's in finalist for the Hart Trophy. So is David Pasternak of the Boston Bruins, who had himself just an incredible season, um, and he continues to get better, has his new contract, uh, not going anywhere. Pasternak finished this year with uh, 113 points. 61 of those were goals. And people... Go ahead. Sorry. Interesting exercise I always like to do. Yeah. So uh, the the writers, the PHWA writers and a handful of broadcasters vote for the the Hart Trophy. Uh, the NHLPA members vote for the, the Ted Bill, Lindsay the, Award. The, I always call it the Bill Lindsay Award for former Flame Billy Lindsay. No, the te- the, the the difference the, is the, the formerly Carl- known as the Lester B. Pearson. Exactly. Award. Carlson was one of the Lindsay winners yes. voted by the players, or one of the Lindsay finalists rather. Yeah. Uh, and Kachuk is a Hart yeah. Trophy Mc, finalist. McDavid and Pasternak were nominated for both yep. the uh, or the finalists for both the Lindsay and the Hart. Carlson, uh, the third finalist for the Lindsay from the from the players, and from the writers, Kachuk. Kachuk. Interesting. The, the the overlap between those two awards in, in the voting is always fascinating to me because, you know, obviously players and people who sit upstairs see things completely differently. It's very gratifying, I think, in a lot of ways when there's that much overlap because it means we're all watching the same thing. Kachuk, uh, by the way, career year for a second consecutive year with 109 points, uh, 40 goals, 69 assists. Nice. And 109 points for Kachuk. So Kachuk of the Panthers, Pasternak of the Bruins, and of course, Connor McDavid of the Oilers, your Hart Trophy finalists for 2022-23. It's Steinberg and Pike wrapping up this hour on Flamestock. We're coming at you and have been coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Dome. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y.